Welcome everyone to the Jesus Culture Podcast. It's so good to have you with us again. Um, you might recognize this voice that's been absent for a little bit, but it's me, Becky Johnson, back from 12 weeks of maternity leave, and we are going to talk all about that and really excited to be jumping into our series. We've been taking 12, we're, t- we're taking 12 weeks to revisit um, the Jesus Culture Podcast was originally the Jesus Culture Leadership Podcast. And if you like are an OG listener, you will know about the JCLP. That's what we originally originally called it and really was around the idea that we say all the time, you're called to lead. We believe all believers are called to lead. And so we had framed the podcast around leadership principles and leadership dynamics and traits of leaders, and then realized, you know what, if we think everybody's called to lead, we can drop the leadership and just call it the Jesus Culture Podcast. But we're taking 12 focused weeks, kind of a series, and we're revisiting um, traits of healthy leaders. And again, yeah, just more focused leadership principles. So today is a really exciting episode with a guest that we have that we'll introduce to you very soon. But Phil, we're talking today about um, healthy, healthy leaders internally, not like workout healthy, like internal healthy and all that good stuff. So I'm excited. Why are you excited to talk about this, Phil? I'm excited to talk about this because I'm hoping Margaret can fix every problem I have in my life and in my church staff's lives. So that's that's the only expectation, Margaret, I have of this uh, of this podcast. If you could just fix everything, uh, that would be wonderful. It's just going to be you. Really, we're doing this to just get a free session, a free session. <laughs> that's that's what this is. It's all this is. Phil brought his diary, <laughs> and he's going to open it up. <laughs> Oh. I mean, this could be exciting, guys. If it's a live session with Phil, oh, people yes. will. Let's do it. That would be. I'm. I'm somewhat open to that, even though that would be highly <laughs> terrifying. And uh, oh, I'm so excited. And oh, okay, but speaking of, uh, I want to hear Becky like maternity leave. Yes. Was it, listen, I mean, my wife. We've had four kids, so we've walked through this season four times. Do you enjoy? this season? Was it was it restful in any way? I think the hard part for every time Emily took maternity leave was people were like, oh, isn't it so great that you just got however many months off? And I, I it's those moments where I could see her literally, the, the only times I see her physically want to hurt people is when they treated maternity as if she was on a vacation. Absolutely. Well, before we open up that emotional can of worms, <laughs> let me just say to our listeners, don't forget that the Jesus Culture Podcast Network is brought to you by our friends at World Vision. And <laughs> we are very excited about this partnership, and we are going to take some time before our interview to tell you about how we're partnering with them and how you can get involved and in, in why we believe in this amazing organization. So let me just say that before I get into the ugly. Margaret, I have two kids, seven and three, and then I just had a baby. I'm not a stay-at-home mom. I'm a, I'm a career mom. I love my career. I love working. And um, let's just frame that. Like there are some women who all like they want to do is be home with their kids. And I think that's really beautiful. Those, those are very special women in my eyes. <laughs> like, I don't know what, <laughs> what makeup got different in me, but that's not where I'm at. So all that to say, and Phil, you know this, I just went from two to three. And the jump from two kids to three kids, it's breaking me. <laughs> no, it is. It's, it's breaking me. It is. I tell people this every time. You know, we have four. So, right, we went from zero to one and two, three, four. And every, every kid uh, breaks your system 
So every, and it, by the time you have a new child, you've finally gotten good at whatever system you have. So the stages of having children is a constant repetitive, mm-hmm. like you can't figure out life. That's what it feels like. As soon as you figure it out, you have another child and then you just can't figure it out again. That's so but validating. I will say so validating. The, jump, the jump from two to three is crazy. Okay. So th- I have not talked to a single person with more than three kids who have not agreed. So I feel I have gotten so much solidarity in talking to other people because again, you know, our listeners probably know this about me by now. I am type A. I've got systems. My house was like a well-oiled machine when my boy turned about two and a half. We hit a great groove. Like we got this. We've got our two kids. Derek had one. I had one. And like, we just were this beautiful, it was like a synchronized swimming team. And then we had a third. (laughs) And now we are like the worst swimming team to watch. You don't want to watch us. We are, everybody's drowning on this synchronized swimming team and nobody, everybody's doing something different. And this baby has just Oh, turned our systems upside down. And so we're, we keep telling people that when they're like, how you doing? I'm like, you know, when we find the new groove, we'll be doing great. (laughs) And people laugh. If people have more than three kids, they laugh. But my greatest moment of comfort came when I, I brought all three to church for the first time. And there's a woman in our church who has 13 children. She's amazing. And so I saw the woman with 13 children and she said, how you doing? And I said, LaDonna, what happened? You know, like, I'm not okay. And the woman with 13 children looked at me in my eyes and said, the jump from two to three was the hardest. (laughs) So every, I'm like, you have 13 kids. And that's what she said. So I felt really good. It was this odd comfort, um, and so people are probably thinking, guys, we need to help Becky right now. She's going to hurt her children, send help. But we're doing fine. I love this baby and she's amazing, but we've just, we're figuring it out. She's new, you know, she just turned 12 weeks. So no, it's not a three month vacation. Emily is right about that. And I would physically harm people who would tell me that, oh, is it, ha- hasn't this time off been nice? Banning is the number one culprit. He's like, isn't it nice? Yes. Are you having such a great time off? I'm like, time off? So I'm glad to be back to work and we're working on finding a new groove. And I think if anybody's considering, if anyone out there has two kids and they're considering adding a third, just make sure your marriage is really strong. (laughs) Like I can see how this takes people out. Like legitimately, Derek and I were saying, there are some people we know who should not have three kids. (laughs) You should not, you should not have three kids until you work some stuff out internally. So, cause it's no joke. We said like, okay, this is major leagues for to add in a sports reference. Cause I never do. Um, two kids is minor league. Three kids is major league. One kid is scrimmage. You don't even, you're not even playing the game. You don't even know what you're doing. So we're in the major leagues now we feel. And uh, we upgraded, I love it. we upgraded to a minivan. Like we are in full on, yep. you know, yep, like you just own it. Yeah. This is, there's, there's goldfish in my purse right now. I have diapers everywhere and there's, you know, we're just like, we're in the newborn land. So what's funny is going from two to three kids in my experience was definitely the hardest because the world's built for four people. That's just the world is built for four people. And when you have five, when you have five, you can like force it to work. Right. But the minute you go to six, 
it's not harder with your children, but you stop functioning the, to the world. You're basically Amish. I might as well. When people find out I have four kids, they assume I'm Mennonite. They just like it's it is like there is it. it four is a is, is another world to people that they, they look at you and you're like, oh, you're one of those people, yeah, whatever that is. Absolutely. Like that. That is the reality that you're in. You cannot function in normal life. Absolutely. It just requires uh, suburbans and uh, insanity. Absolutely. Yes, you have, I'm, you I'm need a, a separate, you need like extra time at the restaurant. Now you need a special table. Why? Do you, why? Because the table's <laughs> built for four, okay? It's so true. So. Well, listen, this is why we're talking about how to be healthy leaders today mm-hmm. because uh, it's it's real. It's not easy. And we're done. If people haven't picked up by now, I'm done having kids. That was it. That she's my I've got my alpha and my omega. I'm done. I'm done now. I've got my two girls and my boy and I I have no more need for any more children. <laughs> I'm fully satisfied. I'm just personally very happy to have you back on the podcast. It was lonely without you. I've heard I've heard some real scary stories while I've been gone. So I'm here, guys. <laughs> We're going to jump into an amazing conversation with Margaret, our guest, who is a clinical psychologist. Before we jump into that, and listeners, let me tell you, you want to get your notes. You want to be a part of this conversation. Um, listen intently. And this is going to be a, an episode you probably come back to. Before we jump into all that, we'd love for you to take a listen to what our friends at World Vision are up to. In the world's most fragile places, devastating aftershocks of the COVID-19 crisis are pushing families deeper into poverty, putting kids at greater risk of hunger, malnutrition, violence, and neglect. Child sponsorship is you making a decision to provide $39 a month for a child in their community in extreme poverty to provide the most basic necessities of life. But most importantly, you provide hope. It is one of the most effective ways to help the world's most vulnerable children in their communities address the impacts of this pandemic and lift themselves out of poverty for good, especially now. The reality is thousands of children are waiting to be sponsored, but what you don't know is everything is about to change. For the first time, World Vision is inviting you to empower a child through sponsorship, yet instead of you choosing them, they choose you something no organization has ever done before. It doesn't matter who you are or where in the world you live, every single one of us wants to be seen, to be loved, to be chosen. Put the power to choose in a child's hands and give someone a chance to step into a life-changing relationship with you. Text PODCAST to 56170 and sponsor a child now. Well, today we want to just have a really honest conversation about uh, what it looks like to be a healthy leader. You know, we're in this series of conversations about that God has called us to a place of leadership, but leadership requires growth. Leadership requires uh, challenge. It, it just it's it's something that is beautiful, but it ultimately it, it calls us into. Uh, the journey of, of really learning how to follow Jesus, trust Jesus, and mature as followers of Jesus. And I, there's a lot of important aspects of leadership, but ultimately, uh, if, if we don't figure out how to be healthy in the midst of it, uh, our leadership journey will be short because uh, we will either do so much damage to other people or we will do so much damage to ourselves that the cost of leadership will ultimately be too high. 
And so to me, uh, this is one of the most important conversations we could have. And Margaret, I just want to say thank you for coming on. And I want you to know that I just think the world of you and mm-hmm. I, what you have to offer in this uh, conversation and in many other conversations, but distinctly in this conversation is invaluable Thanks, to me. Val. And it, it, so I, I just feel really honored that you're on this and you are a leading uh, clinical psychologist and, and you are a remarkable counselor and friend. And I was actually, I was, I was telling Becky, you know, before we're getting ready is we've had profound conversations uh, as, as just a friend and somebody I'm getting to know in my own life. And then we have had a, a session together uh, professionally where we, you help me talk through things. And I, I mean this, there are counselors and then there are whatever you are. <laughs> I've never actually had someone help me navigate a conversation in the way you did. When I was talking about it with my wife, when I was talking about it, I was like, Margaret, this is the only way I can describe it. Margaret saw a door in whatever I said and helped me to walk through that door. And it was like every point. And so I just, I, just, I, I say that one, I love you. So I want to honor you. But as people are listening, I want them to understand that what's being offered today is so significant. And so anyways, thank you for being part of this. And it's just a joy and an honor to have you. Oh my gosh. Thank you. And thank you for letting me know how it affected you because it helps me do what I do. And it, it's why I do what I do because seeing transformation and coming alongside people and God has freedom for us in every area. And we just have to ask and show up. And so I get to do that every day and I love it. I'm so privileged to do it. And it's fun to be with you guys. So First time on the Jesus Culture Podcast. How cool is that? (laughs) Anytime you talk about um, counseling, therapy, um, you know, seeing someone like that, you can kind of feel, especially in our, I think, Western American society, there is this tension. There is this stigma behind it, you know, like, ooh, what's wrong with you? Or, ooh, you must be pretty messed up. Or, you know, there is, um, I'm on this whole, like, normalized therapy thing, normalize counseling, normalize it, normalize mental health. And could you maybe just speak to that a little bit? Like, man, for people listening who would already, and there's, then you have family histories of like, oh, we don't do that in this family. You know, we do not see therapists. We do not see counselors. We do not see psychologists. That's for the crazy people. Can you maybe speak to that? Like, whoa, um, for, for anyone just to get the walls down at the beginning of the episode who might have that stigma or mindset or kind of that view on what it means to, to have sessions, to have sessions with someone, yeah, to be seen totally. someone. Yeah, it's sometimes we just don't know what to expect. You know, we, we see what the movies tell us therapy is. And some of that's true and some of that's not true. Um, or sometimes as Christians, we think, well, that means you're not trusting God. Or sometimes we think, well, gosh, that's what the church is for. You know, if the church was if the church was doing this, we should go to the church, we should go to church community. And all of that is true. Counseling just as an opportunity. It's kind of like going to get a workout with a trainer. It's like, you can go work out and you can figure out how to do it and you can do great. And sometimes you just need a little help. You need someone to show you the way. So kind of like you were saying, Phil, sometimes I'm just able, because this is what I do all the live long day. (laughs) I'm able to be an objective person to kind of help kind of help you get where you want to go. And so I tell people to just try it. You have nothing to lose, you know, with trying it. Of course, find someone that you trust that um, other people have had good success with. But 
Therapy is just an opportunity one time a week or whatever you do to sit and get out in front of you all the stuff that's turning inside of you with someone who's trained. The thing about my job is when, when, when I turn on these days, when I turn on the screen, you know, and that client comes on my screen, it's all about that client. Where else in your life does it get to be all about you mm-hmm. 100%? And someone's just there and all they want to do is serve you and help you grow in whatever it is that you want to grow in. So it's invaluable in that sense. And sometimes we need someone objective, someone who's not our friend and, you know, wants, we can't help but want what we want for our loved ones. We can't help but get out of our way and see, see what we want for our loved ones. And that can be amazing, but sometimes uh, it's not so helpful. Yeah, it's so good. And I, I, I've come to the place where I realize the healthy people ask for help. Uh, I'm going to need help in my life yeah. and I can either get it in health or I can get it when my world crashes. And I want to live my life in a way that gets help along the way. So I can, uh, don't have to walk through those harder stories. And that's, yeah. that would be my greatest encouragement to people is you're going to need help one way. So you can either get it along the journey or you can get it when your journey implodes. And I would encourage you to just get it along the journey. Cause I think it'll be a lot more fun and save you from a ton of heartache. And uh, so, Margaret, even in that, let me, let me ask you this. I want you just to kind of share some vision that you have around, like, why it matters that we're healthy as leaders and mm-hmm. what is a vision of healthy leadership and just even things that you sense and understand about what it really looks like to be healthy as a leader. Well, and I want to say, too, kind of on that last point, there's so many avenues now to get help. There's coaching, there's e-course, and there's so much right now. It's almost as if God is like flooding us with ways to get help. There's no one right or wrong way. And as leaders, you know, I've been so privileged. Something shifted in my practice like five years ago where all of a sudden more leaders started coming in and asking for my help. And um, that's been so encouraging that leaders are wanting to just have a space where they can be free to talk about whatever they need to talk about. And what I'm finding is number one, that leaders are in a unique position where, you know, similar to me, where my focus is on you, not myself when I'm in a therapy session for leaders, their focus is really on the people that they lead and they're constantly giving and figuring out what their environment needs. And over time they forget about their own needs and They don't have a place where they can just let their hair down and just talk without any pressure of I'm the leader and I have to lead. So I think that's the first step is recognizing that you have needs just as much as the people that you lead. And sometimes you just need that place where you can let your hair down and not have to be a leader. Um, So that's number one. Number two, the pressures that you guys face, you know, whether it's a pastor or something else this past year with COVID and everyone is in the same soup of uncertainty. We have no idea what's been going on. And your brain, I mean, let's just talk physiology. Your brain does not like uncertainty. Our brains don't. It creates anxiety. Your brain is designed to predict and protect. And our brains just haven't been able to predict a lot this past year. Yeah. And as leaders, you know, you're constantly faced with new challenges. You can't always predict what's going to happen next. And so needing that, men- there's, mental health is real. Slowing down, helping yourself, 
recognizing that when you're anxious, it's because your brain's working overtime to try to predict and protect. And so um, mental health is just, is a huge part of who we are. And as leaders, you're constantly called upon to make decisions and be ahead of the game. And you can't do that if your head's not in the game, if you're anxious, if you're um, overwhelmed. And it's so normal as a leader. It's part of the job description to be overwhelmed. It's just you're always going to be a little overwhelmed as a leader. Right. Um, and if, especially leaders that I've seen who, who want to do great things. They want to do great things. And so they're always pushing the edge. That's what leaders do, right? They're always right. pushing the edge. So having just a place to be able to let your hair down and sort some things out with yourself, with the Lord and someone who's good at helping people sort stuff. What do you see, you know, this is so true when you talk about leaders and and whatever, you know, this podcast is for people who are leading families, people who are leading in business, people who are leading, you know, wherever those challenges always arise when you're leading your household, you're taking on big things, you're, you are uncertain and you're the one in the forefront when you're leading, you know, if you're leading at Starbucks, if you're leading you know, your, your business or in, a, in the church. What I have found, I've been in consistent counseling my whole adult life, had a traumatic childhood, but want to lead and realized quickly, if I'm going to be effective in leading and I want to not repeat my past, I need to get some help. And what I have found is it is hard. Like it's hard work to get emotionally healthy. Mental health requires that I show up and work at it. And I think, you know, as a leader, it's like, oh, I'm working hard everywhere else. I also need to work hard here. Could you maybe speak to that? Like, man, um, what are some things that you find that you see that keep people from the hard work? And, you know, maybe it's just that, that they're like, gosh, another thing I have to work hard at. But the, the payoff obviously is so worth it. Like, what are some hurdles that people might have in their life that they're going to have to just be really honest about and come face to face with if they're going to dive into getting emotionally, mentally, internally healthy? It can't be hard work at times, but there's so much fruit. Mm-hmm. And I can't tell you how many times a client comes in in crisis, right? And of course, they're in crisis. They're overwhelmed. They're trying to figure things out. Maybe you're, you're challenging them to do things a different way, to learn new skills, but there's always fruit to that. And when people start to feel the fruit of the things that they're doing in emotional health, then it's, believe it or not, it can be fun. It doesn't have to be hard work. It can be fun because you see the fruit of it. And just this week, I had two clients after the first session go, you know, you're kind of simplifying it for me. Like I thought it was going to be like this big mountain I had to climb and you're kind of describing something really simple. It's like, yeah, it doesn't have to be hard. Our hearts want certain things. We have certain needs. Our, our soul has needs, our body has needs, our spirit has needs. And when it's hard, it's because there's a part of us that's being neglected that we just need to figure out what's being neglected and begin to help you know, ourselves, get God to help us with those things. And then it starts to flow and then you feel stronger and stronger. Your soul is like a muscle that as you strengthen it, things get easier. And the challenges that you, you know, struggled so hard to push against before are just are easier. So I, I don't want people to I don't want people to think that it's horrible hard all the time. There are p- pieces of it that are hard, but there's so much fruit. That's so good. I think that's important for people to hear is just like again, yeah, you kind of have this mindset like, oh, it's gonna be, you know. A mountain climb the whole time, but just like working out, it's not going to kill you at the gym every time as you get stronger. 
And I think what happens though is our soul muscle gets atrophied often. You know, Phil, we talk about that a lot. Like, man, we just neglect that thing. And what happens then? You're looking at a leader. What are signs for you that like you're moving towards unhealth? There's something wrong here. Like what are the signs that are showing up in a leader's life that are, are pointing you towards something needs some help, something needs some to be addressed? That's a great question. So um, anxiety is a big one. So usually when leaders come to me, it's because they're feeling a lot of anxiety and, you know, they're smart, they're intelligent, they're pretty much, you know, pretty emotionally attuned, but they haven't been able to kind of really figure out why they're anxious. So it feels a little out of control. So anxiety, um, a lot of overthinking, like when you find your brain spinning a lot, you know, you can't get to sleep at night because you can't shut your mind off. Um, and then, of course, there's kind of the natural symptoms like of, you know, not being able to sleep, your appetite's kind of off, being a little irritable and not being able to get past it, not being able to shake it. But the biggest two things I see with leaders is, you know, some overwhelm, some anxiety, some, you know, their head spinning, keeping them from being able to focus as well as they would like to focus. But those are the times when something's happening. You're not listening to something inside. You know, there's either some emotions in there that you haven't listened to, or a lot of times it's because the the leader keeps pushing themselves. They just push, push, push. They're really high capacity and they just keep going. Like they forget they're human. And then the body starts to break down. The body just can't keep up. So those are the biggest signs I see with leaders. It's when they're pushing themselves too hard and they get anxious. And, you know, I think, again, we do a, a great job and a bad job. We do a great job at ignoring those things and a bad job at going, guys, this, that's not normal. Like I lived for years thinking if you're not anxious, irritable and not sleeping, you're not doing a good job. Like that, you know, kind of became the, you got to be in that mode, you know, you got to be, uh, go, 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 go. And the minute you feel peaceful or relaxed or you're sleeping good at night, maybe you're not working hard enough that's not normal. Yeah. And it took me a long time to go, oh, I need to recognize when I am, when my anxiety is through the roof, I'm ignoring something. That's a, that's a sign, you know, and we just tend to glamorize those things, I think, you know, and to not glamorize things like sleep. Are you sleeping good? Peace. Being able to let things go, not overthinking. These are actually if you think about a leader that you want to follow, you don't want to follow some frazzled, stressed out, sleepless, <laughs> irritable person. Yet, as leaders, we can kind of walk around that way and going, hey, why aren't, why aren't people feeling like they want to follow me? Or why am I not seeing fruit in my organization? <laughs> yeah, well, that, that, and that's another sign too, is what's happening in the organization. So there's this interesting thing. It's a legit thing. It's a psychological term, but we see it. It's called parallel process. So whatever is happening with the leadership team is going to happen in some shape or form in your organization. What's happening in the organization is going to come up and show up in your leadership team. So when you're sitting there in your leadership team and you're like, what's this? What's that? What's this? Chances are something's happening. It's going to parallel. It's just how it goes. It's how it goes. So sometimes you may not be aware of what's happening with you, but you're seeing some kind of, you know, like you can't connect the dots in some area. And that's a great time to stop and go, okay, what, what, where are we not connecting the dots either in our own relational dynamic or in, you know, individually internal dynamic. 
And let me clear that up. And then I can begin to lead people where I haven't been able to lead people because they're locked up in the same thing I'm locked up in. Does that make sense? Yeah, it absolutely makes sense. And I think for me, this was, has been one of the most painful realizations. <laughs> it's, it's humbling, isn't it? Yeah. My own dysfunction yeah. show up in my team, my culture. Mm-hmm. And those, those moments when I, look, when I look at something in my church and I go, oh, it's a little bit off and it's a little bit off because of me. I've actually allowed this. I mean, that's that sober calling of leadership, of why leadership is sacred, why leadership isn't cheap, why leadership isn't something you hand off too easily. Not that we don't want to have a high empowering culture, but that realization of actually uh, leadership replicates things that are inside of you. When I look out and I see pain and it's actually a mirror of my poor leadership, it's, it's the hardest part of being a leader. To me, that is the hardest part of being a leader, of recognizing my stuff shows up in other people, and I'm accountable for that. Oh, gosh, the first place you see it is your kids, right, Phil? Like, and I'm in that world right now. I'm like, oh, my gosh, with, as my daughter gets older, I'm like, the worst part, I told Derek, I said, the worst part right now about parenting is parenting the bad traits of myself in my daughter. I'm like trying to get those out of her, and I'm recognizing like, oh, you... You're dealing with that because I haven't dealt with that yet. And so, my goodness, it absolutely in our teams, I'll notice when I'm running on fumes and then all of a sudden I see my team running on fumes and I'm like, oh, you guys should be resting more. You should be taking care of yourself. They're just mirroring what, what the leader is doing. And so, oh, it's so hard, so hard and humbling, like you said, Margaret, because I have to go, oh, I need to stop, take care of that, correct that, align that. Yeah. So what if leaders set goals? Because leaders are good at setting goals, right? And achieving them and helping everyone go that direction. So what if we we were deliberate about setting goals around what we're seeing in our own health and the health of our environment so that it's part of what we're going towards individually, but part of what we're going for together as a collective? So if if a leader, if, if I'm talking to a leader and they don't really they don't really, they have, got, they have goals for this and I've got goals for this and I've got goals, but I have no sense of like their own, like, and this is what I'm doing in my own life to steward my emotional health and to steward kind of the places where my growth edge and kind of the parts of me, you know, where what happens when I'm under stress, that's where I want to encourage them. So what are your goals here? And, and really look at the way you, same thing as you would look at your environment, like where are areas of strength? Where are my areas of weakness? What happens when I'm under stress? What do I do when I'm under stress? Um, what does that say about, you know, areas of wounding or areas where I just need tools that I haven't had before? Mm-hmm. The beautiful thing. Cause so here's the other side of that. These leaders come, right? You work with them. And for me, a lot of them are pastors. So you work with them and then their preaching changes. And how they interact with their team changes. You know, if I'm, if I'm close enough to that world, I get to get here feedback. Like, you know, or I can just go online and watch someone preach and go, oh my gosh, look what's happening. This is amazing, you know? So the beautiful thing is, yeah, you see the fruit of that other stuff in your kids or, you know, whatever. But when you get healthy, the opposite happens. And the whole environment, kind of, you, you bring the environment with you. That's why leadership is so powerful. That's why it's so amazing when it, when it's going in the direction you want it to go is like, just, I I see it all the time, just the leader getting healthy, something changes in the environment every time. 
whether the environment's aware of it or not. That's what I mean by parallel process. Super powerful. It's so good. If I think, gosh, you know, Phil, what what do we say to, like, people have to make a value for this. It's crazy. You know, again, we, um, we're pastors and leaders, and one of, like, the main advice pieces of advice I'll give people when I meet with them is, are you seeing a counselor? And they're like, oh, it's too expensive. I'm like, okay, I'm watching you go out to eat, shopping at all these stores, like your budget, you know, is so malaligned. You're spending money on something. It's just, it's not really a money issue. It's a value issue. Like it's not that you can't, it's not that it's too much money. It's just that you're not making space to take care of this thing, to go after this thing because you don't value it. So, you know, how do we get people to reshift their priorities and go like, we have to, we talk about Sabbath a lot in our spiritual lives. It's the first thing that goes. We neglect the Sabbath because we're too busy. Sabbath is tied to emotional and mental health. And so, you know, we as leaders have to set the bar for our organizations and for our teams that, hey, this is important. Like our value is on this thing. We're doing whatever we need to do, make sacrifices to make space for going after mental and emotional health. But it has to be, right? That has to start with us. We have to value it. Yeah. I mean, we, oh man, I have way too many thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I would say for me, what, what drives me in this, a genuine sense of fear of God. Mm. Like not, you know, God is not, I'm not afraid of my Abba. He loves me and I love him and I'm, free to run to him. Fear of God is not worried that my dad doesn't really like me or that he's going to punish me in secret ways, right? But it is a recognition that I will stand, I will stand accountable. And there's a reason the scriptures say that uh, not are all called to teach, not are all called, because there's a higher accountability. And what he's saying is I, I as a leader will stand in front of God one day for how I led people. And, you know, the picture, right, of Jesus is, he has a yoke that is easy and a burden that is light. And it's not that it isn't something or not that it isn't powerful. It's just it fits. And as a leader, what am I trying to do more than anything else? I'm trying to help people get into the yoke of Jesus to follow him. But when my, unhe- my, my unhealth can get all over it. If I love God and if I love people, which I hope is the only two central motivations of leadership, uh, there, there could be other good ones, but nothing compares to those two things then I will fear God and I won't want to hurt people. And I just think if those are our motivations, you have to value health. They have to value it because if not, the consequences are, are, are significant. People are worth being treated like Jesus. And to treat people like Jesus, you have to be healthy. And to be healthy, you have to go after it. It's, it's, oh, it's never an accident. It's always intentionality. And I, I genuinely believe in the power of sitting with the right counselor but there are also so many other forms. There's mentorship, there's pastoral counseling, there is mm-hmm. balance, there's mm-hmm. Sabbath, there's just awareness. Like, just like if you value this, it'll find its way. It'll find the money, mm-hmm. find the time, it'll find the yeah. book. The problem is we, more than wanting to be healthy, we want to be successful uh, or, or our definition of that. And I would just say if your vision of success cancels out emotional health, then your vision of success is deeply wrong and you need to change. So I, that, would, that would be my hope for people. Yeah, I think that that's a, you know, we just need to say it. Like we need to just address it, you know. Again, people are like, oh, I'm, I'm so, you know, I'm so overwhelmed, I'm so anxious. 
well, what are you doing about it? Oh, I, oh, I just, I don't have time. I don't have time to do anything about it. Like, okay, what you, what you're saying is you care more about the results that, that your anxiety is helping you produce than you do about taking care of your, your emotional health, your soul. Well, it's solving a problem, right? So yeah. the minute someone comes into me with a problem, you know, I have to recognize that it's a solution for something else. So when someone says, well, I don't have the time, that anxiety and whatever that energy is, it actually solves a problem for them. Maybe it solves the problem of like, well, it motivates me. It keeps me going. And if I slow down, I actually have to feel something and I don't know what to do with all of that, you know, or I get overwhelmed. So sometimes people don't know what to do because the symptom, sorry, I keep using clinical language, but I guess I, I'm allowed to do that. Yeah, we want the that. Is actually a solution to some other thing. And so I'm not so quick to give it up, even though it causes me some suffering because it actually keeps me from a deeper suffering that I'm not ready to look at. And that's a reality. Sometimes we're not ready. We're not ready until it gets painful enough to be ready. But, but I like what you're saying. It's just, maybe we just talk more even about valuing it as leaders. We, we put it in the budget, you know, we put it in the budget and maybe we can't pay for a leader to do all of the counseling, but maybe we put it in the budget that you get, you know, one count, we pay for one counseling session and a quarter or something like that. But yeah, it starts with us valuing it for ourselves individually and um, being a little brave, being a little brave because it is vulnerable. It is scary. And sometimes it feels like opening up a can of worms, but um, it's so worth it. It's, it's like the one thing I'd want people to get is like, it really is so worth it. Like you'll get there. And uh yeah, it's just worth it. It's going to be invaluable. Margaret, so I, I work with teenagers as a youth pastor. And what I'm seeing in the rates of them saying, I am depressed or anxious, it feels like an epidemic of anxiety and depression in our young people. And I'm looking, I'm like, these young people are going to become our older people. They're our future leaders. They're our future parents and CEOs and presidents and, and pastors. And what is it pointing to? What do we need to be aware of as we're watching our young people kind of give these reports of feeling this way? And I'm watching actual statistics, right? Like this is the most anxious slash depressed generation. And we're like, oh, it's more, it's because of phone usage. It's because of comparison. It's because of technology or, you know, we're kind of saying all these things. What are your insights into that? And how do we come alongside them and go, hey, we've got to, we've got to help, you know, like this, we can't settle for this. Yeah. I think they're actually the most anxious and depressed because they know there's more, but we're not offering them the more. We're not pointing them in a really practical way to the more. So I think it starts with listening to their heart. It starts with, instead of seeing this as, you know, oh, this is a problem. How do we fix it? It's okay. It's okay to be anxious. It's okay to be depressed. Start with that. Can you just let yourself be anxious and depressed? Why? Because there's some wisdom in there somewhere. Something's happening. And I honor that wisdom in you. So first it's that like, it's that sense of like, oh, it's okay. It's okay. Like, you know, when you grab your kid when they're crying and you don't tell them to stop crying, you, that you let them cry and then they know it's okay just to cry. And then at that point, then you kind of have that conversation, like what's happening inside you? What are you thinking? What's, what's your heart saying to get it out in front of them? So when we stay stuck in anxiety and depression, it's because we don't, we can't get it out in front of us enough to really understand what's happening and then to let it inform us. So 
to let kids have those conversations about well, what's happening inside, helping them sort that out, bringing God into the equation every time, you know, God, what do you want to do about this anxiety? What do you want to do about this depression? And um, there's something happening. There's something where they feel like they're out of alignment with the desires of their heart, with some sense of what we know on a gut level is good and right, but we can't seem to make it happen in our reality. Um, So the first step is it's okay to feel whatever you're feeling. The second step is let's get more aware of what's actually happening inside you. And then the right action, you know, will come from that, which actually helps realign us to what's really in our heart. And um, I think kids just want to be seen. They want to be known. And even though they're out there, you know, seen and known uh, by Instagram or whatever it is, it's like, they just, they, they want a place to where they can be whatever they're being anxious, depressed, whatever, and that that's important to someone. It's really important that how you feel is important, and there's a reason why you feel that way. So let's get to the bottom of it. Oh, I love yeah. how I love how you frame that. It's not something to solve right away, which I think is just our bent, right? Let me fix it for you. Yeah. Let's fix yeah. it quick. Let's get you out of that quick, and then we kind of create shame around these emotions. And well, now something's wrong with me that I feel anxious or depressed. It's like, well, maybe not. I love what you're saying. I think a lot of us don't listen to it enough. What's that anxiety telling you? I mean, that's where I was. I, you know, I'm sure Phil, you could relate. Like for years, I'm, I'm not listening to that. I'm trying to run from it or solve it quickly. But to think, okay, these things, X, Y, Z, leaders, whatever we're feeling, it's telling us something. For me, when I realized I needed to listen to what was happening inside me. And, and it, it's a balance, right? Because anxiety isn't always telling me the truth in terms of uh, how it's talking to me. Yeah. It is always trying to tell me something that is truthful that I need to, I need to respond to. That is so good. And it's, so good. it's uh, that point of realizing when I, when I begin to let my anxiety tell me something, then I can actually learn what to, how to steward it. Yeah. And, for yeah. most of my life, I just stuffed, I stuffed it, numbed it, ran away from it, condemned it, and it didn't, and none of that worked. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't work, does it? Yeah. Yeah. Emotions are not the highest indicator of truth, but they're the highest indicator of what you believe to be true. So that's why there's wisdom in it, right? So it's telling me what I believe. When I'm anxious, it's telling me what I believe to be true. And so if I can get back to that, well, this anxiety is telling me that I believe that whatever, you know, the world's coming to an end. Well, okay, then I can, then I can look at that thought and I can challenge that thought and hold that thought captive and realign my belief system, right? So if you don't connect with your emotions, then you don't know what you believe to be true and you can't change that. And it all comes back to what we believe and what we think is true and finding the truth. And the truth will literally set you free. I know a client's got it because it clicks. And all of a sudden their depression goes to joy and they just look light and happy. And I'm like, you did it. You did it. You reconnected with truth because every time truth is going to set you free. That's why counseling doesn't have to be hard and scary. You get to find the truth and you get to come back to yourself again. Didn't someone say that the truth will set you free? Isn't that? Oh my gosh, I think someone said that. <laughs> oh, it's so good. I before before we wrap, I, I will just want to point my my husband's one who um, you know, he's like 
anxiety, that word like a buzzword is like, because we've said it a lot. And so I don't want people to think to to tune out, like, well, I just don't struggle with anxiety, therefore I'm okay. Like this shows up in a lot of, um, can you maybe, some some indicators, like, all right, maybe it's not anxiety as a leader that you're struggling with that you need to listen to, but it's, and I know you said a couple of things, but I'm thinking like overeating, um, avoidance, right? Under eating, um, overspending, indulgence in some area. Like what are some, again, as people are listening to this conversation and we're getting ready to wrap as they're like, hey, what are some questions they can ask themselves or some things they could look at internally? Because, right, my husband's going to go, oh, it's, it doesn't show up as anxiety for him, but maybe more um, isolation. And he, and he knows, we know, like, all right, Derek, when you're isolating, when you're withdrawing, something's not right. That's, you know, we, we listen to that. That's the alarm. Yeah. What are some good. things that people can be on the lookout for? Well, at the end of the day, we're not designed to block emotion. So this idea of you got to fix it makes it worse. We're designed to feel emotion and every emotion has a beginning, a middle and an end when we allow it. And the wisdom comes when we come to the end and then we can look back and go, oh, this is what I learned from that emotion. But when we block it, that's when it creates problems. So we either block it in one of two ways because that creates pressure and then we have to do something with the pressure of blocking that emotion. So we either over control. So these are the people who overwork, over function, can't stop have to go, 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 kind of what you were describing earlier when you, when you were in that go, go, go phrase. Um, under eat, get really particular about what they eat, what they do, you know, maybe get a little perfectionistic. So that's someone who blocks emotions and then deals with the pressure by over-controlling. Or we swing the other way. We block emotions and then we deal with the pressure by under-controlling. I'm watching way too many episodes of Netflix. I'm overeating. I'm drinking too much. I'm starting to feel like I want to look at porn. You know, that's all when I'm feeling, it's so much pressure because I'm blocking emotion and not dealing with the real thing. And then I, I just want to let go. And so I end up doing these behaviors of under control. So it's going to look like if someone's a little more perfectionistic and driven, that's how they deal with blocked emotions. They deal with it by just, you know, working harder, trying harder, running harder, all the things. If they're under controllers, then they do the opposite. Or if you're like me, you like to go back and forth between the two and have a good old time between both of them sometimes. Well, and what's so helpful about that, Margaret, is what it just shows is we need we need to actually know ourselves and we need people who know us because there you go. that can point to that. And that's yeah, that, there you go. this conversation is about you've got to be a yeah. leader and you've got to get help to be a healthy leader. And that's mm-hmm. going to come through doing work to know yourself and having the kind of friends who know you and can go, hey, that thing you do, that that's actually when you're moving towards unhealth. And uh, there you go. Get some help for that. And so, Mark, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. And doing this. And uh, man, I just can't wait for people to listen to this. I, 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 my hope is it just produces significant help and change in people's lives. Yeah. Absolutely. Everyone's going to be um, DMing and emailing for your information, Margaret. She's not accepting new clients, guys, because we've we've dominated all her time. I now need to set up 17 sessions with you. <laughs> uh, but yeah, um, honestly, guys, thanks so much for, for tuning into this. And, and like Phil said, hopefully it, it begins some awareness, maybe changes some value systems, or just reminds you of, of what you're called to as a leader. I love what you said. 
You know, they know there's more and we're not offering them the more. So let's lean into the more. Let's lean into the more as leaders. Let's be able to offer our families, our congregations, our our youth groups. Let's be able to offer them the more because we're tapping into it ourselves. Margaret, it was so good to, to meet you over Zoom. I've heard so many good things about you and I can see why. Thanks for taking some time to offer your wisdom to our listeners. Thanks guys, my pleasure. I love what you're doing. I love your work. Keep up the good work. Thank you.